0: Hi, this is Martin Clancy, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Eckhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Trapital, which music trends have outlived the pandemic? From the
1: bag, you follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers, but you start to follow the money
2: and you don't know where the F it's going to take you. I'm glad that wasn't mine. From Hypebot, <laughs> what came into focus as the touring industry gathered for Polestar Live? Oh my goodness, Jay. So much to talk about, and it's raining again. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like when we record, it's raining. But we are going to get the podcast going right about now.
3: Stand by for transmission. This is London Court.) Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air, 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 for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority now from our studios in hollywood california here's your hosts jay gilbert and mike etchart
2: oh jay it's good to see you brother
3: Good to, sick, Good to see you too. Good to see you. Other than
2: that, I am feeling great, and uh, yeah, here we go. Another episode, episode one thirty four of the podcast, and uh, yeah, oh, hopefully we've about some of the things we've talked. Hopefully about. we've worked out all of the
1: uh, the bugs. We had a little ghost in the machine last week, and it happens from time to time,
2: but not like last week. You want to tell our listeners oh, sure, what, yeah, what happened so she- on your end? Well, we were talking actually about, it was just pouring rain. That was the heavy day that we were, we recorded on a Friday last week because I had to go out of town on Sunday morning or Saturday morning, I should say. And uh, yeah, so literally as I was saving the file, you and I had recorded it and we record on our own, on, on each side. So I record myself, Jay records himself, and then I marry them together when I'm editing. And uh so we had we had hung up actually from the from the Zoom call and I was saving my side and we had a little power outage at my house and so that file disappeared. So we, we have a backup on Zoom, but it sounds terrible and if you heard the the podcast last <laughs> week you'll know how terrible it sounded. So we had to slot that in. Had I not Had I not had to leave town the next morning, we probably would have just re-recorded it. Yeah, uh, Ghost of the Machine and something. Sometimes those things happen. Well, thankfully, uh, we had
1: a backup. And I did have a lot of people who were texting me, you know, Monday morning saying, um, what what happened to Mike's audio? And it's like, you know what? We're just fortunate that we had a a backup, a backup and uh, a backup. And it, uh, it happens sometime, but, uh,
2: it happens. And it was a combination of events that, uh, that made it, like I said, we would have just totally re-recorded it had, had we had the time or had I had the time, but we did not. So thank you for hanging in there with us. And we still had lots of people listening. Listening in, but uh, sometimes you have little boo-boos like that. Yeah.
1: The show must go on. The Um, show
2: must go on.
1: Before we jump in, I had a really fun week this last week. I want to tell you a couple of things. One is um, I finished that book, the Billy Joel biography by uh, Fred Shewers. Really good book and uh, super interesting. I learned a lot about uh, Billy and his career that I didn't know about. And it when you read those biographies or see documentaries, it usually causes you to go back and listen to some of those albums again. And, you know, nylon curtain is one of my all time favorite albums, but there was uh, his live album at Shea stadium, which I don't think I'd ever really listened to. And it was absolutely fantastic. And of course, then, you know, the backstory behind it. So um, really, really
2: enjoyed um, that book. Um, I well, and you know, Billy Joel. I, well, sorry, sorry no. for jumping in, but and Billy Joel is one of those artists who, if you ask ask just kind of the the, the average person on the street, you know, name the top selling artists of all time, they'll go they'll tell, they'll probably know the Eagles, they'll probably know Michael Jackson, but Elton, very few, Beatles, Elton, exactly the the, the usual suspects, but. Billy Joel is on that list. You know, yeah. he is amongst the biggest selling artists of all time. Yeah, And, you know, you, people forget that. And, and it was sort of, I wouldn't say under the radar because people in the industry know that. But people forget, I think, just in the general public, how successful of a recording artist he has been. Yeah. Unbelievable amount of records yeah. sold.
1: Fantastic so, career.
2: Yeah. So um, really quickly, I, I had
1: a couple of really interesting... Uh, uh, meetings while well, they're more lunches with friends. Uh, this last week, um, I had lunch with uh, Maddie Elise from Shark Attack. Love her company. Love her. Um, Philip Bailey from Artist Advocates. Um, Ryan Vaughn from Backline. Um, both Philip and Ryan are drummers. Um, so that was interesting, but they're, they're super experienced and just really great people. And we had such an amazing time, uh, reconnecting. And then I also got a a phone call out of the blue from an old colleague from Warner music group, Tony Martinez, who was in town and, uh, he brought his uh, daughter Riley out and, and we had a, a breakfast together yesterday and it was just so cool reconnecting, you know, with some of these, uh, some of these friends in the, in the music industry. And it's always just a joy because we miss a lot of that stuff. You know, I work from my home primarily and yes, I'll drive into meetings, but I don't go into an office every day. And you and I used to work at universal together and we drove in to an office every day and we saw people at the water cooler. We'd have lunch together, have coffee. And there was this conversation going and I really miss that. Uh, sometimes. So it was really yeah. cool to reconnect with these cool
2: cats. Well, uh, it, and even if we were at those companies, I think Universal is still not back to full everybody in the office every day. I think they still kind of. Com- uh, combo it so yeah it, it's I do miss that as well and it, it, is, it's, it says something too about the changing sort of nature of the workplace though and that's just kind of the way it is but yeah. Jay when you when you tell me about all these things you're doing I, I I still come back to the same thought which is when do you sleep dude I mean it's like <laughs> you it's, it's amazing and then I you know and I know you've been I mean there's a couple of wonderful things coming out on behind the set list you guys have been really busy getting some we did have a busy
1: that. week we typically don't record uh, two episodes in three days um but we did and they were really good we recorded uh the be- behind the setlist podcast with all time low who you know i absolutely love that band one of my favorite songs of all time is weightless and mm-hmm. there's a line in there maybe it's not my weekend but it's going to be my year and uh, years ago that was kind of uh my mantra um and then we got to talk to um world-renowned guitar player uh, Joe Bonamassa yesterday and it was just a joy to talk to him and we could have talked for hours and after we kind of stopped recording I talked to him a little bit about his guitar collection which you know hundreds and hundreds of just classic instruments
2: and I would love to just you know uh, have a tour through uh, his guitars. Oh my goodness! Well, he is uh, just as you said, a renowned vintage guitar collector and an expert on on certain things. And he's got you know the wherewithal to to amass what is probably I mean amongst the biggest collections in the world. And yeah, yeah he's got a ridiculous, ridiculous. collection. You know what else he out. collects is
1: amplifiers. Yes. So he's got <laughs> the, you know uh, a lot of these the, classic uh, amps and. Uh, you know, and he'll be the first to say that, you know, the equipment doesn't make the artist. Correct. You know, the artist makes the equipment. You know, the reason oh, that the Les Paul guitar is so popular is because not only Les Paul, but, you know, people like Jimmy Page and, you know, and, and Joe Bonamassa, you know, like these legendary players play it. I mean, if I buy a Les Paul, I'm not going to sound like Joe Bonamassa, but it's still pretty cool that they have these vintage, you know, instruments.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is, you know, when 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 certain pieces show up in the in the general con- consciousness, he is often somebody who it, it with whom it ends up with, yeah. because he's just got such a great eye. Oh, and you know himself. what, Mike? Yeah. Before I forget,
1: while we were talking um, to Joe, he had mentioned that David Lindley had passed away, and I didn't know that. And yes. for those that don't know, David Lindley, he's been a kind of a sideman for you know jackson brown and you know, just tons of you know celebrity artists stars whatever you want to call them and he put out an album when i was working in record stores called el Rayo x i think it might have been his band. first solo and it was so good and i've always yes. been oh and he does the falsetto part of the song stay Uh, stay. uh, uh by jackson brown. jackson brown album. yeah yes. and i was
2: really yeah. bummed out to hear of his passing me too. Yeah, seventy-eight years old, and he's a local L.A. kid actually, and was in a band called Kaleidoscope for that was signed to, to Columbia Records, I think, in the late '60s. And yeah, unbelievable. He played the oud and you know mandolin and violin and he was the in one guitar.
1: that turned me on to what, what are those guitars? Were they Mose right? What were the guitars that you would order from like the catalog? I forget what they were called. Uh, um, like Silvertones Silvertone. Silvertone. Yeah, he would play yeah. like a
2: Silvertone on stage. Oh yeah. Yes, he he had a very very interesting eclectic. Just he's just a a, a miraculous and amazing musician, a great singer too. Yeah. uh, yeah. I bumped into him someplace not that long ago. And, you know, like all these people, it's, you know, the, 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 the passings. And then of course, Wayne Shorter passed
1: away oh, this, yeah. this last week. Yeah. A
2: fun, wonderful jazz sax player from weather reports. And I think he was, oh, he was in his early eighties actually. And, uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's just, it seems like every week we read about passings yeah. of, the, of the giants and, yeah. uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, it is heartbreaking. But yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear that. And, and thanks for bringing that up as well. Yeah, And you're also involved in the Grammy organization uh, in, in terms of a, a, a new mentorship that you, you were involved with, with Grammy U. Yeah, this is new for me. I've been a voting member of the uh,
1: Recording Academy for decades. And um, they asked me to be one of their mentors for Grammy U, you know, working with college kids, which I... I'm a big fan of, I work with several colleges and will always do that. It's just such a joy uh, to work with them. And as I was telling you before we hit record, you know, I get as much out of it as they do um, because they're looking at the business in a, in a different way. Uh, yeah. Than we did growing up in it, and so it's just been a joy uh, to do. So, well, I'll just... and,
2: and that event, and we went to that event at the Grammy Museum a couple of weeks ago, which ended up being that was a Grammy U event, which I didn't I didn't realize that when we got there it was yeah. with Merc- Mercuriatus and. Um, and yeah it was fun to see all of those you know young faces in the audience the yeah. next generation of people coming up and and you and i were talking about what just a different world it is for them you know we we came up in an era where it was the major labels were the only way to really get your stuff released and and it's just the the the, the floodgates have opened the rules have been thrown out the window and the business they're getting into now is just dramatically 180 degrees away from what we started. That's right. And, but at the end of the yeah. day, it,
1: it is different, but it all comes back to the song. If it's a great yes. song, you know, it's like that that's Jonathan great. Daniel quote I use all the time. You know, if you give me a great song, my job is easy. You give me yeah. a good song. My job is impossible. Possible. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. the new music business in a nutshell.
2: Yeah. But there's a great organization through the Grammy organization. Yeah. Honored to uh,
1: be a part of it and help mentor. And I had my first session uh, this last week and it's, it's just been, you know, a highlight of my career to kind of pass along these things that my mentors kind of taught me. And now I can share some of those things with uh,
2: the younger generation. It's pretty cool. And there I was looking on Hypebot. And there you were, Jay Gilbert, in a a piece of (laughs) Hypebot. How did that come to pass?
1: Um, Bruce Houghton, um, our sponsor, friend, colleague, um, therapist, he um, (laughs) decided he was going to uh, put together a piece on Spotify DJ mode. And for those that don't know, um, Spotify is slowly rolling this out. It's not out to everybody, although it should be soon. Um, And it's basically... AI, artificial intelligence, that looks at, you know, what you've been listening to. Think of it as Spotify wrapped. You know how it says, oh, you've you played a lot of this artist or, mm-hmm. you know, here's some of the songs that you've played the most of, or this is the genre or mood that you like the best. And it will suggest things and, or maybe it's discover weekly radio release radar, whatever it is. And basically they've just taken, uh, Xavier Jernigan, he goes by X, uh, Xavier's worked for Spotify for a long time. Um, they use his voice. And so if you're listening, it's almost like having a DJ, um, that's announcing songs, but there are songs that are based on your listening habits. And if you skip one, he might say something like, okay, let's shift gears and let's try this. And so Bruce asked me if I would contribute to an article he was writing. Um, but then he just went ahead and just ran mine separately um oh, okay. and he, I think he's doing that with everybody that he's asking and it's really interesting some people like it some people don't some people think it's yeah. gimmicky I'm one of those people that I like to have uh sometimes uh, a voice I like Apple Music Radio I like Sirius yeah. XM uh sometimes I like somebody else to drive and I don't want to yeah. necessarily go pick through, you know, exactly what I want to listen to or the playlist I want to listen to or the album. Sometimes it's like, just, just handle this. And that's, what's really cool about Spotify DJ. I thought it was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, well, and it's you know there's going to be a lot of these things popping up now as people just try different things out, try testing different, um, just different things. And then when we talk about this sort of AI world, um, you're going to see a lot of stuff over the next few months. And yeah, it's been it's crazy. Okay. It's not all going to be good, you know. No. And it's, you you do have to kind of put dip your toe in the water and try a bunch of different things and see what resonates.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up. AI because there were four articles blocked together in your morning coffee this last week on AI, artificial intelligence. Those stories were, the first one was from Wired, uh, the Wired Guide to Artificial Intelligence. It was a really good kind of overview of what it is and how it's used. The other one was from Billboard. The headline was, AI is creeping into the functional music market. What happens next? Great piece. Um, another one from billboard. It takes a lot of people to create all this AI music. And then the last one was from sync tank techno plagiarism and the battle for music in an age or in the new age of AI. And last week and I think maybe even the week before we talked a little bit about this really cool, um, interview. Uh, that Tim Ingham had with Dr. Maya um, Ackerman. She's the co founder of this AI lyric generating software called Lyric Studio. So think mm-hmm. of it as maybe you have a bridge, maybe you have a chorus. You can feed that into the software and it'll help you craft the rest of your song. It's not gonna write the song for you, but in your style, your cadence you know, it can help you. Well, they're coming out with a a new uh, software called Melody Studio, which does sort of the same thing. So you feed it your, you know, what key it's in, beats per minute, whatever, and it'll help you finish the song that you're writing. So there's a lot of talk right now about AI. And, you know, I I had a really great conversation with uh, Martin Clancy. Uh, Martin Clancy just wrote this uh, book. He was the editor of this book. Artificial Intelligence and Music Ecosystem. And, you know, I, I talked to him this week and I said, you know, like, what are some good things about AI? Talk about that. And his response was very thoughtful. Um, let's let's listen in. Martin, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, you have uh, edited a book called Artificial Intelligence and the Music Ecosystem. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and maybe a couple of your key takeaways.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay. So the book came about because I was doing a PhD on what we call transdisciplinary research. So that's everything in academia and enterprise brought together. And I found that I had to, apart from being a musician, I had had to become a paralegal and then I had to become an ethicist and something of a philosopher. And, um, I was finding it hard to multitask at the best of times. And then I thought, well, why don't I go and ask some experts what they feel? Do they care? Do they share the same things? Um, So I simply sent out a series of cold call emails to some which were to me very famous people from my research saying, do you care? And um, thankfully, a number of them came back. And they have each written their own chapters, or I interviewed them for the book. And the idea is to present all these different voices to say, whether it's Holly Herndon as an artist, or Jacques Attali, who's a French philosopher, going, yes, I predicted this 40 years ago, which he did. Um, Or Scott Cohen, as you know from from Warners and now with uh, Jukebox, uh, just saying, well, this is what I think about AI and the music ecosystem. And you started that two years ago? Yeah, I, I started the book before I finished the PhD. So while I was doing it, I realized that the, the questions that I was coming to were ethical, which was kind of when I was doing the interview, a lot of people that left a bad taste in their mouth. And I wasn't comfortable with that term. So I think equitable AI is my the one I'm comfortable okay. with now. But uh, what it meant was that beyond the law it comes down to whether we care or we don't care about whether or not we are employed or what happens and that personal responsibility uh, is the basis of ethics and also that's the basis of whether or not something is equitable so do we care whether people work or not
1: yeah so tell me what are some positive things about ai
0: yeah so i tried this as an experiment today because i've been doing a lot of talk recently uh with industry folk and a lot of it is dystopian a lot of it's very fearful And then I went, okay, can I come up with nine reasons to be cheerful or 10 reasons? I think I got to nine. So I wrote some notes here. So the first one, it's great fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's be really clear. It's really, really, I haven't had so much fun with these tools. Um, Legally. Yeah, it's just, it's great. Um, The fact that we can pretty much make your own Hollywood movie now, uh, it's mind bending. So that's good. Second one, it's cheap. Uh, The fact that we're running these deep learning systems off your browser and your phone, it's bad. Uh, I watched last night. So that's two. Number three, uh, I was watching John Oliver's Tonight Show, and I realized that in the space of the last six months, everybody is now speaking at a very high level about this. So this would have been the subject of my PhD uh, 18 months ago. Now it's primetime TV. Great. Uh, so we, we actually have a chance. Uh, next good thing is that um, music it hasn't happened in music yet. So we've got a chance to shape our future. Uh, And and the pandemic showed us that people care about music, meaning that we saw how fragile the arts are. So we have a choice. Um, The next one is that it's a bit crap, the AI. Um, So we know that we have to participate. Uh, The idea that we just sit there and it will do it for us isn't true. Everybody knows that, for instance, chat GPT, it's kind of reliable, but not fully reliable. So we have to be there. Um, The next one is that, I think that it's going to give us more time because all musicians are complaining about I have to do so much social media, I have to be my own manager, I have to do this or this. So all these other AI tools outside generative are good. Um, and the last one is that I think that I did experiment in my class where I got them to use all these generative tools uh, with the idea being that they should come up with forms of employment. And that was first year, first semester uh, undergraduates. And I was amazed. So I didn't see that coming. So that's my ninth takeaway that we don't know where this is going. It's the same as ever. We, no one knows what's happening,
2: and it could be very positive. So there you go. Wow, enlightening, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. And he, what an interesting. Um, uh, Experiences and, and uh, expertise he has. <laughs> he's he's a writer. He's a songwriter as well. I mean, he's a musician. He's a manager. He's got a lot of great skill set. And you know, this this stuff is yeah. coming whether we want it or not. And uh, I especially enjoyed the. the the uh, article we talked about last week, which was talking about how do you copyright, ensure copyrights when all of these tools are being used and th- all of these things, Boy, we, I'm, we, we keep saying this, but this is going to be the topics that we will talk yeah. about almost every week for the easily the next year. And, and I'm sure years beyond that, because this is really, it's coming That's right. f- and it's coming fast and so many things. to consider. It really is. And, and I think one of the things that
1: kicked it off was chat GPT, mm-hmm which we've been talking about. It's the fastest growing app of all time. It had like a hundred million downloads just in January. So AI is now mainstream and people are talking about it. They're using it as a tool to write record. Um, They're using it across all aspects of the business. And it's not all nefarious, you know, as our friend Martin Clancy points out. And we may have him back on uh, from time to time to just keep us, you know, enlightened as to how this is all developing. Yes.
2: Yeah. which And, and, and it's, you know, we, we talk about a lot is it's nice to have these resident experts that can weigh in periodically because... It's super yeah. hard to ca- to just keep up with everything that's and and the newsletter does a fantastic job of presenting all these articles. But it it's it's hap- it's fast and furious and boy you know there's a it, yeah it's, there's just a lot of things to consider and whether on the business yeah side, and you know, we've to your point to
1: your yeah. sorry to interrupt my, to, to your point we're fortunate in that we have people. Um, like Martin Clancy, who are enlightening us. We have Vicky Nauman, who comes on from time to time. Um, we reach out to Chris Castle. Um, we have our friend Glenn Peoples. We have a lot of these people within the industry that you know. We don't know everything. You know, we're learning this just like our That's listeners an understatement for and, me <laughs> <laughs> and it's well, it's a joy and it's fun to do, but you know, we're fortunate that we can kind of stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, so speak. It,
2: absolutely. And, uh, but I, boy, it, it's and and what's interesting too, is, is unlike a lot of, of trends, I suppose, is this is kind of, uh, in enveloping almost every aspect of the industry. You know, when you look, look at things, it's rare that something is, is impacting the creative side of it and the industry side of it and the, you know, everything, um, AI is just here to stay. And it's, it is, like I said, it's just pervasive in almost every aspect of the, of the business of music. And uh, we will keep talking about it without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: we should do. And a couple of other things really quickly before we dive in, I know we have kind of this long intro (laughs) this week, but there's so much to talk about. One is um, the recording Academy and the hits H I T S the hits act And we've been having some conversations lately. So I reached out to the recording Academy because I wanted some clarification on it because it's going back, um, in front of Congress. And so I had a really interesting conversation with Todd Dupler. He's the VP of advocacy and public policy at the recording Academy. And he was kind enough to hop on the phone with me and kind of walk me through, um, the Recording Academy's HITS Act, and I think it's super interesting. Let's listen in. Todd, thanks so much for joining me today. The Recording Academy is reintroducing the Help Independent Tracks Succeed, or HITS Act, in Congress. What do we need to know about the HITS Act?
4: Thanks, Jay. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, The HITS Act is something that we worked on coming out of the pandemic. We realized that Independent artists especially needed an incentive to help get back in the studio and create new music. There had been a lot of pandemic relief for live venues and other parts of the ecosystem, but nothing specifically for recorded music. And so what the Hits Act does is really simple. It allows any independent artist or even an independent label that pays for a new studio recording to be able to immediately deduct those costs from their taxes in the first year instead of having to... Amortize or spread those costs out over multiple years, which is the case now, Um, and this is a benefit that already exists for the film and television and theatrical production, um, but it's never applied to music before and so that just makes a lot of sense for parody, um, but also to give our indie artists a chance to get into the studio when they bear those costs themselves and make new music. Um, but be able to get that tax benefit right off the bat.
1: How can I how can my listeners support the act and and learn more about it?
4: Absolutely. So come to our website, recordingacademy.com and click on advocacy. Uh, there's a lot of resources there first for you to learn about the bill, um, but also where you can take action. You can write members of Congress um, and you can get involved that way to let them know that you support this bill. Um, it was just reintroduced in the House um, at the beginning of this week um, by Congresswoman Linda Sanchez of California and Congressman Ron Estes of Kansas. Um, there's a Senate bill that will be coming very soon with Senator Dianne Feinstein and Senator Marcia Blackburn as the lead sponsors. And so it's bipartisan. It's bicameral. It's a really simple bill. Um, last year, we got a lot of bipartisan support for it. And so we feel good that this is something that we can advance um, to become law later this year.
1: Fantastic. I know you're super busy, Todd. What what else are you guys working on?
4: Sure. So real quickly, I'll mention with the Hits Act also, we know now that this bill um, also applies to songwriters. Songwriters often go in uh, to create a studio recording as well to make demos that they can pitch to artists to record. Um, So whenever they bear those costs, that's something that they can do um, as well. The Hits Act would apply to them. So we're excited about that. Um, And then we're also continuing to work on free expression. You know, this issue of lyrics being used against artists um, as criminal evidence. We're working to stop and limit that practice nationwide. Um, We're working on royalties for artists and songwriters through um, the performance rights for um, radio broadcasts for artists. And also continuing to work to make sure the MLC is implemented correctly under the Music Modernization Act for songwriters. And so we always have a full plate. Um, we're also monitoring the live event ticketing issue, which has been really controversial. So there's just a lot going on all the time.
1: Super informative, Todd. Thanks so much. And I hope you'll come back on and talk to us
2: again.
4: I would love to. Thanks so much, Jay.
2: Yeah, I, I you know, any anything like this that is that is going to help independent artists, super important and very happy to see things are, are potentially moving forward. Although at, like anything involving uh, Congress and the Senate, it's tough to get stuff over the finish line. It really is.
1: It is, but they're working hard to do that. And, uh, I think it's such a great act and such a, you know, so helpful because look, musicians, you know, they're trying to have a living too, Mm -hmm. right? It's a profession and they need a little bit of help, you know, like through the pandemic, it, it affected all of us. And uh, I just love that this is available or will be available uh, to them. So that's pretty cool. And you and I, before we were hitting record, we were talking about Record Store Day. And I wanted to kind of touch on Record Store Day because I'm such a big fan uh, of it. You know, Michael Kurtz and his team over there, you know, they're constantly... Um, having these record store day drops. And, you know, this year, uh, I think the main record store day is April 22nd. Um, But there was a piece you and I were looking at in Billboard where they talked about, you know, um, you know, the first vinyl recordings of Taylor Swift's, you know, Long Pond Sessions and Metallica's new 72 seasons. You know, um, they're going to be part of this record store day. Um, These are special vinyl releases, but there are, all sorts of amazing artists that are releasing things for uh record store day this year. It's going to yeah, be really uh, the great.
2: 1975 Paul McCartney, Fleetwood Mac, Elton John, Billy Joel Van Halen, John Lennon, post Malone, Dolly Parton. <laughs> Do we need to say even more? I mean, again, you know, and hats off to those guys because uh, it's just such a great event and it's really just been so gratifying to see the growth of record store day over the years. And, you know that Yeah, it started in 2008. Oh um, it seems like it was only
1: yesterday that it yeah. started um, but there have been so many great record store day exclusive mm-hmm. releases and now you know you mark that on your calendar and it's it's just such a fun event to yeah, go to. Yeah, and
2: you know you're you're getting artists that that are you know as as they should and it's so wonderful to hear their stories of you know talking about how they as as pre pre their career would go into record stores and how important that was just for their musical education as it was for all of us. And it's just, you know, I try yeah. to pop into a store at least every other week, uh, and just see what's going on. You know, I've got a great store near me called Salzers in Ventura and a good friend of mine's got great. Oh, sure. Record rack in yeah. Ventura, And, um, you know, it's just, it's, you just, it's nice to, I mean, it, you just, it, you're enveloped with music when you go into a record store and it's just, you know, and, yeah, and, and as I'm sure you feel the same way, it's like you walk in and it's like, these are my people, you know, these are my people. Yeah. I like the smell yes.
1: of record stores. I like the people there because they all, it's like a club and you all just kind of accept each other no matter where you're from. Um, And when I travel, um, I always make sure that I check out the local um, independent record stores at any city uh, that I go to. Um, uh, Last year I was in uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, One of my artists was doing a date in Vancouver, um, which is just over the river. And Jeff and I, my business partner, Jeff and I, drove over to Music Millennium and just spent hours in there and came out with, you know, (laughs) (laughs) armfuls of of, uh, vinyl and other things. And it's just such a joy. And I'm fortunate living here in Los Angeles. There's so many great um, record stores. And of course the big, the beast, you Mm -hmm. know, Amoeba is, it's just, you know, and I support all the smaller Indies as well,
2: but I have a soft spot in my heart for, uh, for Amoeba. Oh yeah. with Absolutely. Without a doubt. It's just, um, I mean, it's just so, and time Time disappears when you go into a record store. At least for me, it does. You know, you just yeah, suddenly I look up. And it's like I've already been here for an hour and a half, and I, you know, and I just, yeah. and I could be here for another hour and a half. And it's it's really hard for me to get the <laughs> hell out of the door because I just yeah. want. There's just yeah. so many things to look at and absorb and good on them for for continuing the wonderful uh, event that is record store day and it's it's and yeah, it's and it's exactly. there's so many things around it it's just oh, what a wonderful wonderful event so a wonderful yeah. uh, thing on my calendar so jay you know we do this show every week and But we could not do it without the wonderful help of our sponsors. I do want to mention that Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. We want to take this time to congratulate Bandzoogle members for surpassing $100 million in commission-free sales of music, merch, and tickets through their websites. Bandzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website and online store for your music in just minutes. All the features you need are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell music, merch, and tickets commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles and live support from their musician-friendly teams seven days a week. Plans started just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Bandsingle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off. Off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com promo code Morning Coffee.
1: Yes, and we're also brought to you by Hypebot. Since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton, thank you Bruce, with help from Alana Bonilla. Uh, Hypot and sister uh, blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands You in betcha, Town. Bands
2: in Town. Over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their superfans, Managers labels. Tables, agencies and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms.
1: And we're also sponsored by Music Business Association. For more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration, collaboration in the music business. Join us in Nashville May 15th through 18th. Um, I'll be attending. I've been going to this conference for a couple of decades now and it's, uh, it used to be NARM and, uh, it's a a great conference and it'll be great to see, uh, all of our colleagues. Yeah, big again. thanks
2: to the Music Business Association, Band Hype Bot, and Bands in Town. They are the gold standard for sponsorships, and we are so happy to have them here. Yes, sir. And in sir. case you don't know the guy that I get to yap with every week, he is Master Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the fabulous weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment And just a groovy guy. Thank you. And this gentleman sitting across from me is Mike
1: Etchart, one of my favorite human beings on this planet. Longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and
2: Universal Music Group. Yes, and that's where we first met and bonded over Jellyfish and your epic collection. of bootleg Beetle bootlegs which uh, oh, I'm like yeah. I, gotta, I gotta meet this yeah. guy I gotta Good hang stuff. with this guy so let's jump in Jay what do you say to our <laughs> stories the first one is from Trapital Dan Runcy, yeah a very cool guy and he does great pieces and this one is which music trends have outlived the pandemic and you know, it's, yeah. it's the before times and the during times that the pandemic and boy, it's, it, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it was only just a couple of years back and everything changed. And it's funny. Yeah, it, it really
1: did. And remember zoom really got its life, you know, cause everybody was um, Skype I know, uh, it, before uh, that. And then it just seemed like when we got the, you know, the news of the lockdown, zoom just came out of nowhere uh, for me anyway. And all of a sudden everybody was using it, but he kicks this off with yes. clubhouse. And I remember joining clubhouse and I thought it was really interesting. I would basically have it on like radio. I would check in. And if somebody had a conversation about a certain topic, you know, at least initially, it was really cool. Now, later, you got people who it became more of a commercial or they would jump on and yell inappropriate things and all sorts of other other things. But he kicks off the article. He says, it seemed like yesterday that Clubhouse was full of packed rooms and well-known speakers debating about the music industry. Some shared insights um, and were very insightful. Others openly admitted to payola with no shame, exclamation point. That was the beauty of the moment, but it was one
2: that came and went along with several other short-lived trends. Yeah. And it says that he says the entire tech industry has come back down to earth after several years of low interest rates and quarantine lockdown-inspired trends. Uh, and of course, this is this was going on, but but it's all a good thing. You know, we kind of talk about this is, you know, you have to try new things. Not everything is going to be successful. Not everything's going to keep, but there was just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And, uh, and some of the things yeah. stuck, right. And we'll talk
1: about that. And, and but a lot of them didn't, we knew that live streaming concerts wasn't necessarily the future of the music industry, but we knew we had a new uh, arrow in our quiver. We, we had a new thing that we could use, right? But he also talks about things I'd kind of almost forgotten about, like the... Uh, NFT, you know, Mm -hmm. characters like Bored Ape Yacht Club, you know, Universal, he calls it Trapital's winner, was when Universal Music Group announced a new music group with, you know, the Bored Ape Yacht Club. You know, it's the type of headline that made perfect sense in November of 2021 when the price of, you know, uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, they were peaking, but... For decades, people have criticized the music industry for not innovating enough. This was an attempt to lead the charge, but now that some bored apes have declined over 95%
2: in value, Uh, The heyday is (laughs) gone. He he mentioned some other contenders. Uh, Let's not forget Travis Scott's Fortnite event, Astronomical, which had over 12 million concurrent viewers and nearly 28 million unique visitors. The results were fantastic, but that event was the perfect combination of several timely factors, including, you know, he was a superstar at the height of his popularity, a gaming audience profile that was aligned with the superstar artist fan base, and of course, the beginning of quarantine lockdowns in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. So a lot of stuff kind of coincided yeah. for that particular event. Um,
1: but Yeah, and there were millions of dollars in merch sales as well. That was a huge event. And I think what he's saying here is we thought that was going to be the new thing. And look, it still happens, and it still is a thing, just not at that level,
2: right? And uh, but he's mentioned too that you know the verdict, is st- where the verdict is still out. There's a, some concepts and initiatives that had similar momentum in this era. Uh, that momentum may not be what it once was, but the core principles are still there behind each of the following examples. He talks about the DEI initiatives that led to real change after George Floyd's murder. The music industry responded with hashtag The show must be paused. Hundreds of millions of dollars were committed to social justice. And there was a promise to elevate more black executives. Um, but yeah. you know, again, a lot of that stuff, maybe we saw some improvements, but there's also been some kind of backsliding on that. And he talks about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully maybe that will actually kind of pick up over time. Um, NFTs and you know, it's, we, God, we've we talked about NFTs so much Jay on the show. And as he said, it's tough to bucket NFTs in a single category since there's so many cases. He says he's still bullish on NFTs as collectibles or tools that grant VIP access. Those solutions may not need to live on the blockchain necessarily, but there's a market for them. The heightened demand for vinyl says more about fans' overall desire for collectibles, memorabilia, and merch, whether it's physical or digital. But he mentions yeah. he's skeptical about NFTs as, inv- as investments that generate returns for consumers. Um, you know, boy, it's, that was, yeah. and I don't know, I mean, we sit here today, Jay, if, if you were to, at, at a cocktail party and somebody says, what do you think about NFTs? How do you, what do you say?
1: Well, I'm involved with a couple of companies that are working with NFTs, but in a little bit different way. <clears throat> One is marrying physical to mm-hmm. digital in that you, um, they've developed this really cool chip that goes on things like lithographs and vinyl and, I don't know, uh, collectibles in general. It could be a bottle of spirits. It could be you know, uh, a signed baseball, in, you know, in a plexiglass case, whatever it is, these, these chips are attached to these items and then they're registered on the blockchain. And so you, you've kind of got the benefits of both physical and digital. Um, I had breakfast a couple of weeks ago with a gentleman who I considered to be one of the smartest uh, in this area. And he's basically moved away from it and it's just saying that, look, the, the underlying technology is still interesting for certain businesses, um, but we're not quite there yet on the music side. And I follow, you know, like what Sherry, who is doing um, with water and music and her team, and they've always been kind of on the cutting edge of web three and, and, and NFTs is a part of that. And I think that we're still in the early days, even though there was that gold rush on the EDM side with, you know, Blau and dead mouse and, you know, all of that where people were making uh, like ridiculous amounts of money on selling these digital collectibles. I do think that gold rush is over, but it's, it's sort of like, think of vinyl. There was a time a few years ago, not that many years ago where people considered vinyl to be dead And then there was this revival because you found out people actually liked having a tactile thing. And then of course we read that, you know, half the people that buy vinyl don't own a turntable and it's a nice collectible for them. And it's whatever the thing is, I do think that NFTs have gotten uh, a bad name. Um, But I do think there's some interesting underlying technology there. And I think they will kind of have a rebirth just maybe in a different form.
2: Well, uh, other trends that are here to stay, of course, the music rights and sales acquisitions. Hard to believe it. And I, and I've kind of, as we link back, you know, that really started just pre pandemic in terms of being really in the consciousness of a lot of people. And, 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 it it got big over the pandemic, um, but as he mentions here, as hypnosis has struggled to raise additional funding due to lower than expected returns from catalog revenue, people question whether these deals would reach the same valuations as before. Um, but I don't see this slowing down. And it, I uh, well, I think it's only slowing down a little bit because
1: they're running out of the big yes. ticket items that they were looking for. And you and I in this yes. next amazing piece, we're going to dig into that. Um, a little bit deeper, but just really quickly to kind of sum up, you know, he's talking about trends that are here to stay, you know, TikTok and short form video. Now TikTok is under fire and, you know, we'll see, hopefully it will, you know, survive um, because it's such a beast. And when it comes to artist development, you know, we talked about ticket pricing, you know, high prices for live entertainment in general, you know, he thinks that that's here yeah. to stay. And really he finishes the the piece off by saying, lately the big wave is AI, right? Artificial intelligence we've been talking about. He says in six months, there may be something else. It's an exciting position to be in. Let's hope the industry can be the one that disrupts and not the place that disrupted. gets disrupted. Yeah, so great, great piece by uh, our friend Dan Runcie over at uh, yes. Trapital. Well, Killer. the
2: next piece we're going to, this is from a, a thing, something called The Bag. And it, it's it's yeah. the longest title that we've ever uh that we've ever probably had on one of these uh, articles. It says, you follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers, but you start to follow the money and you don't know where the F it's gonna take you. Is the name of the article, actually, (laughs) but it's- it's, Yeah, and that's a a quote from The Wire, but the
1: sub-headline is really what the headline should be, and that is a look at the music IP ecosystem, private equity, funds, majors, publishers, entertainment companies. So when you were talking a moment ago about these, you know, these uh, catalogs, whether it's publishing masters, name and likeness, or everything included, when you're talking about those, there's this whole ecosystem surrounding that because if you're going to buy something for hundreds of millions of dollars, for example, you need to have some players behind you. And this is the best piece that I've read that really Helps you to understand who's behind all of this. Yes,
2: and as as they said, you know, with the influx of cash that's led to a catalog buying spree over the past few years, where does all this money come from? Who is behind these funds that are in the press for acquiring catalogs all of the time? He said, "Well, let's take a look." And it's laid out like uh, like if you're watching a detective show, and they had you know how the detectives use the bulletin boards to kind of create their kind of, uh, their overview of something they're working on. And this kind of, and you and
1: I talk about this a lot, right, Mike, when somebody puts out a piece like this, you know, uh, Twitch's rockonomics, you know, by Will Page was another one. They're so graphically pleasing and it's so, um, visual that you can go through each one of these sections and really get a sense. It's not super text heavy, although there is text here. But these uh, these visuals are these graphics are well, so. Well, you
2: know, when we talked to Merk Mercuriatus, I remember asking him, uh, you know, how did you kind of. You know, it's it's one thing to know the music business, but how do you how did you educate yourself on learning about the the investment business, which is completely different? And so, yeah, so this world. lays out, you know, at the very top all of these kind of gigantic investment firms, and then how the money goes down to some of the companies that we have heard about. So, at the when you're looking at the top row, you've got Mark Rowan who works for Apollo, Larry Fink at BlackRock, uh, Stephen Schwartzman over at Blackstone, Harvey Schwartz at the Carlisle Group, Bruce Flatt at Brookfield, and Paul Singer at Elliott. These are the top row of the people that have these gigantic pots of money, and then how it goes down to these other groups that we're more familiar with, um, and then down to the artists that that in fact are selling their catalogs. And it's just yeah. It's a really great article and so well laid out. And it really yeah. gives you an idea of kind of how this stuff works. And again, this is a world that, yeah. I, I, speaking for myself, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, companies like BlackRock and Apollo Global and Harborview. I don't know who these people are, but this article really lays it out and talks about the gigantic numbers yeah. you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I didn't know um, a lot of these. I I did know about Blackstone just because hypnosis has Mm -hmm. been so much in the news and they talk about Blackstone uh, quite a bit. Um, But some of them... You know, I think they like to stay behind the scenes, uh, actually. And I was speaking to a friend of mine who's an analyst at one of these companies, and he said it was like Fight Club. You know, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about (laughs) Fight Club. And they didn't actually, they didn't like having their uh, name in the press. Um, And they didn't want to compete with these other companies that are trying to buy up these uh, intellectual property rights. You know, BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager with over, are you ready for this? $8.6 $8.6 trillion stunning that is just that's just insane you know um, you t- you mentioned Apollo Global you know um, backed by Harborview you know um, the, they're one of the large players uh, Brookfield Corp generated 5.2 billion so I mean we could go on and on and on but there's some serious serious money uh, behind all the, all of this and As uh, I don't know if we mentioned, um, Nate McCartney is the one who wrote this. And as he states, you know, this is just a small glance at the big picture and it's not new information. Wall Street is making sure, you know, they get their piece, which, you know, brings us beautifully to the next graphic.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, I also want to mention what's kind of confusing too, is when you talk about these gigantic funds, one's called black rock, one is called Blackstone. <laughs> so there's, there's two different ones like that. Um, yeah. Right. And it, you know, and they, he breaks it down to kind of the buyers in the music ecosystem. So you've got the entertainment companies, you've got, if you look at the pie and there's four different, well, let's, let's talk about as
1: you go through this, let's talk about what examples might be, because when you say entertainment company, That could be confused with labels and publishers. And, you know, there's been a lot in the press lately with, you know, K-pop and this company Hybe, H-Y-B-E. Mm-hmm. And they're listed as one of these entertainment companies that are buying up intellectual exactly. property like rights. Primary
2: Wave, Hybe, Pop House. And then you've got, on the other side, you've got labels and publishers, which, of course, the names that we know and talk about, BMG, Concord, um, Warner Music, Universal Music, Sony Music. You've also got, of course, the publishers and the, the other pie slice, CTM Outlander around. Hill yeah. music, uh, wise music groups, so folks again on the publishing side of things, and then you've got the funds, the the money that trickles down. Right. So you've got Elton again stuff I've never heard of, like Eldridge, I'm not familiar with them, KKR, I do know, Harbor, Harborview, um, Iconic Artist Group, Influence. So a lot of these companies that are all kind of in this ecosystem, and it, as, as we were saying, in this graphic, it really lays it out and makes it much more easy to understand kind of who the players are, how it's working. Yeah. And then they drop down to kind of the funds that are requiring music IP. And then they kind of follow the lines. Again, it's just laid out so well and I mean it's just the gigantic amount of money you're talking about Jay when in these 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 acquisitions it's just staggering yeah and I
1: think a lot of people know and hear about these funds again because hypnosis KKR BMG a lot of these funds are in the press a lot but I don't know if a lot of people know that there are publishers that are out mm-hmm. there like you you cited or that even some of the labels are acquiring these things and you know entertainment companies like Primary Wave and HYBE you know there's a lot of players in the space so they break it up and it was really informative you know to to see who all of these players are you know hypnosis probably gets the the most mm-hmm. press out of these things but then they get down to you know what do some of these things have in common who are some of the people you know behind the scenes you know they talk about shamrock capital and that fund was started by you know disney's family office you know and that caught the attention uh you know when scooter bronze ithaca holdings sold taylor swift's master recordings you know for somewhere around i guess 300 million dollars in 2020 so their funds hold a diverse portfolio outside of music and that also includes in grooves, uh, by the way. However, they recently partnered with Universal Music Group to acquire assets in the, you know, Dr. Dre sale. So you're, we're kind of peeking around the curtain to see, you know, where's, where this money is coming from and who these companies are, who they're run by and what they're buying. Nate McCartney from the bag. I wasn't familiar with the bag, but I'm subscribing now. Um, Nate put together just a fantastic piece and he, he talked a little bit about a, a company that I had heard of, but I didn't really know much about. And that's uh 23 capital, you know, you might've remembered them. Uh, I think it was with the Taylor Swift thing, you know, um, Taylor Swift actually made a speech in 2019, um, billboard women and music event where she voiced her distaste of, uh, Ithaca holdings, you know, scooters company that, you know, um, you know, for buying her catalog and, and also calling out George Soros and then that 23 capital that I was just talking about and the Carlisle group accusing them of helping Scooter Braun fund the acquisition. And so he, uh, Nate puts together this really cool graphic. It looks like in addition to financing soccer players, you know, uh, 23 capitals interests also extend into music. And he has a graphic here that says to get to the money, follow the paper trail, which is really, you know, the theme of this whole article is that if you want to look at who's acquiring, what, you know, follow the money.
2: Yep. And of course we've got the majors uh, acquiring music IP as well, including of course, UMG, uh, Sony and WMG. And they've been very active in buying catalogs as of late. And um, yeah, know, let's talk
1: about a couple of
2: those. Sure, um, You mentioned
1: UMG, you know, uh, they acquired, you know, Sting, uh, for example, Neil Diamond, you know, Bob Dylan, uh, Frank Zappa, um, talk about some of the other ones yeah, These these like, like Sony and
2: Warner music group. Yes. Yeah, Sony of course picked up the Bob Dylan catalog, Paul Simon, um, uh, the Bruce Springsteen, which, you know, the, the Springsteen one was interesting, because that was, I believe, not only publishing, but also masters, because he'd acquired the rights to his masters, and then WMG had picked up the David Bowie catalog and the Yes catalog, so they are as active in yeah. this as others, and... um it's just, you know, I don't see it slowing down in the near future. It's just going to keep yeah. coming. I mean, w- money is more expensive right now, and that might slow things down just in terms of interest rates, but it yeah. is amazing and, and uh, to, to look at this, this particular, these charts. So I highly recommend everyone go back and make sure you do pull this up from the newsletter and check it out because it's maybe one of the more informative things that we've talked yeah. about over the last year. It's a fantastic article.
1: Yeah, it, it talks about how much some of these artists' um, catalogs are, are worth or were being paid for, some of these companies, how much they're worth. It's just a very comprehensive look at this space. Um and uh, it's one of those I'm going to keep bookmarked because it's it's one of those you could read over and over again and, and come away with new learnings from it. But uh, great piece by um, Nate McCartney. And just really quickly, um, if if you don't know Nate, he's a former head of music at Verizon. Uh, he was an executive at Rock Nation. And the co-founder of Superphone, if you remember that company, Superphone mm-hmm. that did, uh, you know, kind of the SMS, MS, uh, MMS. It's easy for you to say, you know, like uh, marketing music through text messaging.
2: Um, so kudos to uh, Nate McCartney and the Bag. Yeah, check it out. It's it's very interesting and worth the time to check it out. And uh, so, Jay, our last story is from Hypot. What came into focus as the touring industry gathered for the. Polestar Live event that was. Last wow, I wish week. I could have attended that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, and let me actually pull this up. Uh, yeah, this is great from Hypebot, and uh, it was. It was. Um, you know, and and Polestar, of course. If you don't know, it's the. It is the bible for the live music side of the business. And yeah. boy, it is. If you've bought tickets lately, you realize how how hot live music is right now. I mean, everybody. We have all been actively buying tickets and spending a lot of money because live music is back and this is an event they had and 2000 executives showed up for that event. It broke its previous attendance record. And, um, you know, it's, it's talking about certain issues that are going on. And we've talked a lot on the show about the entire Ticketmaster thing and lots of things. And boy, you and I have both been educated on that particular side of the business and, and learned a lot over the last few weeks. And, that yeah. was certainly things that were were talked about as well, and um, and
1: there's a lot of issues here in touring that I wasn't really yeah. thinking about that they cover in here. You know about how challenging it is to hire teams uh, for a lot of these events and things like that, and it sounds like they had some really great kind of breakout um, meetings and things. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to give a plug for pole you know, pole Yes. It's the source, you know, for touring. If you want to find out box scores and you want to find out who's on the road and, you know, news about touring. It's just, you know, the industry Bible for that. But they also have these directories that um, I've purchased Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. And if you go to their website, they have, you know, like a record company uh, directory. Um, They have an artist management directory, a booking agency directory, a concert venue directory. So these are Great directories to have because you can, you know, if you want to get in touch with somebody, let's say on the artist management side, you can cross reference it in the guide and see who manages who and where they're based and what their strengths are, all of that. So uh, a little shout out to Polestar for those really cool directories.
2: Yeah, but as we move forward, you know, a lot of things that you know, and we've talked a little bit about this—the challenges that the live music industry has, which is not demand, but just things like sustainability and supply chain issues, and all kinds of things, and yeah. a lot of things like you know, on the production side of things, and and you know, hiring freelance people versus hiring um, uh, people in, in in some of the labor unions—just a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that really, uh, you know, are challenges. But demand is not one of them. I mean, people. Want Want to see this? But boy, if you've gone to the gas station lately, you know how expensive fuel is, and that just things like that uh, factor into the 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 amount of money you can make on touring, and the challenging for lower level artists that to to either do it or don't do it. It's kind of tough times out there. It really is. And I've talked to artists and managers who are
1: postponing tours because it's so expensive to go out. Mm -hmm. Um, There are those that are just trying to do it smarter. Like you mentioned, fuel is more expensive. Buses are like triple what they used to be. Hotels are more expensive. Well, everything's more expensive. And it's really challenging to be profitable on the road. And they address that at this uh, Polestar event. They talk about things like you just mentioned, you know, um, that you wouldn't normally think of, um, but they also talk about this is this event's called Polestar Live with an exclamation point. They're talking about production, you know, and they, there could be a production live event. And they say that in the same way that Polestar Live draws such a big turnout from the touring side of the business, production live has been developing its own drawing power as well. The opening slate of programming has grown into an event uh, the likes that could have easily been held as a standalone event. So right now, Production Live is part of Polestar Live, it looks like, and they're thinking that it may be in the future its its own event. But uh, I'm, I think I'm going to go to this next year because it just seems like such a, an amazing event to learn about the touring side of the business
2: yes absolutely and boy it's uh like you i'm excited for this summer because there's just i you know and i always go to pole anyway to just see who's coming and you can it's a great way to just find out if, if your favorite bands are, are on the road or where they're going to be at a given time and so it's a great resource for that at the very least but uh i'm excited for this summer but it's this it's some challenges out there for people mounting tours and um yeah and, you know, just a lot of stuff going on uh but a great article and worth checking out and by the way we
1: didn't mention that this was written by david benjamin oh. de cristofaro um he is a recent grad available for hire who achieved national success as an award-winning student, student of the music business tech marketing economics um at berkeley um so check out this article it's it's very thoughtful and it goes deep into all of these different issues with touring that they're trying to solve and then some of the things uh that are going well
2: Yes. And on that note, Jay, we got to wrap up the show. Can you believe episode 134 is in the books already? Uh, We do want to thank our wonderful sponsors, the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Could not do it without you all, folks. So thanks for that. And of course, my good friend, Jay Gilbert. So brother, good seeing you. Look forward to doing this again next week. And on behalf of Jay and myself, we do want to thank you all for listening into the show because we, we that means Jay and myself, greatly appreciate it. So we'll see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast.
3: You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business, Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.